Welcome to a new episode of the I Ching with Clarity podcast, and thank you for being here, virtually speaking, and sharing my delight in the I Ching. This month, I've got a reading of my own to share for a change. For you to understand this one, I need to share a bit of the background. You might already know I play the cello as a hobby. I think the last time I did a solo podcast, it was about my experience joining a new orchestra after I moved house. I feel most at home in orchestras, but I've also come to love playing chamber music. That's getting together in a small group of from two to eight people. There's no conductor, and whereas in an orchestra I might be one of ten or twelve cellists, in a chamber group you're the only one playing your part of the music. It's a very different experience. Now, there's a string quartet formed of members of that orchestra I joined and talked about before. They've been playing together for many, many years, and they were booked in for a string quartet course one weekend locally. Quite an intensive course where amateur groups can go and get coached by a professional string quartet, and then their cellist got COVID, so she couldn't go. No cellist would mean no quartet, of course, and no one would be able to go. So she started contacting people who might be able to substitute for her. And when she asked me, I said yes, please. I also started practicing the music quite hard because the cellist I was substituting for is a former professional, which I am not. So as I was thinking about learning the music and what to pack to take with me. And how to arrange things for clarity if I was suddenly going to be away for a whole weekend. I was also thinking that I'd really like to cast a reading to ask for guidance that I could take with me into this completely new situation. I'd never played quartets with these people before. They obviously knew each other incredibly well, and they didn't know me at all. And though I did go on one chamber music course this past summer. I'd never been to one like this before. It was quite a bit more concentrated and intensive. But what with one thing and another, in all the preparations before I left, I never did cast that reading, and I found myself already at the course, heading into the evening session with my fellow players on the first day, with no hexagram in mind yet. And then we found that the rehearsal block was locked in the evening. And to get in, you needed a four-digit code for the keypad. The code was two seven five four, and I immediately recognised that twenty seven fifty four as my reading for the weekend. I don't know if that seems strange to you. I suppose it might. I do have a bit of a habit of hearing four-digit codes as hexagram numbers. It's how I remember things like my debit card pin number. And my library card number was a very easy one to remember too: five zero one six, fifty sixteen. A vessel for imagination. What could be a better description of a public library? And sometimes these numbers turn things around and give me a reading. I chose the four digits that would unlock my bike lock: forty fifty four. At least. That was the code until a day when I stopped accepting the culture of a place where I was volunteering, and stuck my neck out and stood up for someone I felt was being bullied. 
Directly after doing that, with all the adrenaline still flowing, I went to unlock my bike to go home and I couldn't because the lock had spontaneously changed its last digit, as it turned out from four to three. Make of that what you will. It is a very cheap and cheerful bike lock. So, like I said, I was more than happy to accept that these four digits were my reading for the week. Hexagram 27, changing at lines 2, 4, and 6 to 54, Nourishment and the Marrying Maiden. I think I'll start by talking about hexagram 54, because that's an easy one to recognise, like relating hexagrams often are. The Marrying Maiden is the junior wife, the second wife. In early China, marriages of important people were arranged. The wife would go to her new home with great pomp and ceremony, accompanied by a bunch of her young female relatives who would be second wives. They were very junior, not very important in themselves, but their role was to make sure that everything went smoothly, the marriage was happy, and if the ultimate disaster struck and the first wife couldn't bear children, then there would be a second wife to step in. None of this is a very pleasant situation to contemplate, but it is a very fertile metaphor. Just listen to the oracle. Marrying maiden, to set out to bring order, pitfall, no direction bears fruit. This speaks to all those situations where you come second. Things are not arranged for your benefit, it's just not about you. For you to try to bring order and organise things how you feel they ought to be would be disastrous, and there is no direction you can take things in that will do any good. You're not in the driving seat, and you're just going to have to fit in with the situation where you find yourself, which is probably not one you planned or asked for in the least. If you're new to this hexagram, you will not be surprised to learn that it isn't very popular. People don't tend to rejoice when they see it. In relationship readings in particular, it's astonishing how often it quite literally means they're already married to someone else. Or sometimes they're married to their job or their mental health issues, but at all events, you are not their first priority. If you want to stay in this situation, you're going to have to feel your way in, like the noble one of the image. Above the lake, there is thunder, the marrying maiden. A noble one, through ceaseless completion, knows what falls apart. You need to feel the vibrations of changes deep within you, like the thunder felt in the depths of the lake. You need to be able to tell the difference between the passing storm and the lake that will still be there afterwards. You need to recognise what will last and what will just fall to bits. This is probably a good moment to mention that there is no such thing as a bad hexagram. Way back in 2009, Bradford Hatcher started a thread on the Eaching community with the memorable title Positive and Negative Hexagrams. The first words of his post are, The title of this thread is a trap. And he continued, I hear this phrase so many times on so many different threads that to set the question right each time would be like playing whack-a-mole. It seems to come up at least once a week. 
It's my thesis that as long as someone is locked into thinking of any gua, that's the Chinese for hexagram, as long as someone is locked into thinking of any gua as inherently positive or negative, they will never understand the Yi Jing. The Yi itself tries to explain this in a number of places. Gua 12 is an opportunity to be rid of inferior influences. Gua 41 is a chance to learn the skills of economy and thrift that will make you truly rich when the times turn around. Gua 39 is a chance to look sideways from linear thinking and goal-seeking behaviour. Gua 5 learns to live in the moment and maximise the meantime. And so on. Crowley put it this way, imagine listening to a Beethoven concerto with the presupposition that C is a bad note and F is a good one. You would clearly miss the music. Good hexagrams versus bad hexagrams is just shallow thinking that completely misses the multidimensional richness of understanding that the Yi has to offer. So that's a good post and a good thread. I can recommend it. I'd agree that there's no such thing as a positive or negative hexagram, but each hexagram describes a pattern of experience, and there are some that we generally enjoy more than others. Most of us, most of the time, are not going to enjoy hexagram 54 very much. It means not being the first priority, in fact, really being more of an afterthought being there for other people's benefit and not your own, and not being in control at all. If I asked, what if I do such and such, and received 54 as the primary hexagram, I probably wouldn't do it, or not unless I received line 5 changing anyway. And yet, here I was, courtesy of the keypad combination of the rehearsal room, with 54 as my relating hexagram, and it described my situation there perfectly. The other players had booked and wanted to go on the course with their cellist. Apart from the fact that she is their friend and the player they're familiar with, she's also a much better cellist than I am. Obviously, I was second choice. But also, their cellist was ill and not available, and if I didn't go, they would have no quartet and no course at all. So that is pretty much the perfect description of being the second wife, isn't it? But it's being second wife with absolutely no negative connotations at all, being appreciated and welcomed into a wonderful experience, having a totally unexpected, amazing opportunity to go and play fantastic music with lovely people who were immensely kind and welcoming. We had wonderful coaching from the professional quartet who ran the course. That was really something special. And they played a concert at the end, which was absolutely out of this world. And to cap it all, the food was amazing. Which brings me to the primary hexagram, 27, Nourishment. I've been on two residential music courses before, and they were both held at schools and had school caterers nourishing us on really good school cooking. This one was at more of a conference venue, and the food was restaurant quality. I could cheerfully spend the rest of this episode talking about 
goat's cheese starter and creamy white wine sauce for chicken and full-cooked breakfasts and roast dinner and I'd only make everybody hungry, including myself. The especially funny thing is that I've been concentrating on losing weight for the past several months. In July, I weighed myself for the first time in over a year, just about fell off the scales in horror at the result, asked Yi for advice on losing weight, and cast hexagram 27, line 1, which changes to 23, stripping away. So yes, I have been eating less, and I did come home from this weekend a few pounds heavier, and getting 27 in that situation was quite funny. Nourishing. Constancy brings good fortune. See the jaws and your own quest for something real to fill your mouth. I certainly became aware of my quest for something real to fill my mouth. Though, mind you, I turned out not to be interested in the assorted miniature Danish pastries that were also on offer at breakfast, as well as the eggs and bacon and so on. Which is odd, as Danish pastries generally do interest me quite a lot. So perhaps I am getting more attuned to real nourishment. Anyway, I did say I wasn't going to spend the rest of this episode talking about the food, and Hexagram 27 is actually not only about food. It has layers, you know, like Nefoy pastry. Hexagram 27 is about whatever sustains us, physically and also emotionally, socially, intellectually and spiritually. And I find music is real nourishment for me on all those layers. That weekend was hugely nourishing. The friendships, the music, the challenge to learn, all of it. There was also a spot of advice for me in the image, as there often is. Below the mountain is thunder, nourishment. A noble one reflects on her words in conversation and is discriminating about what she eats and drinks. Thunder down below the mountain will echo to and fro for a long time. Whatever you put into circulation here is going to keep on going round for a while. So the advice is to balance out the inner impulse of thunder with the outer quiet and stillness of the mountain. Not silencing myself, just being conscious and reflective, thinking before I spoke and not eating the Danish pastries. Okay, normally when I'm interpreting this for someone else, I will suggest they should also be discriminating about what beliefs and ideas they swallow, as it were. But all the input I was offered during the weekend was utterly wholesome. Well, actually, maybe some of it was flattering. Hmm. Yeah. Okay, how do these two hexagrams work together? I was chuckling away to myself as soon as I saw them, because after the first playing session and the first couple of meals, I was already feeling like the world's best-nourished marrying maiden. But giving it a bit more thought, you can imagine that this could be about how you seek real nourishment when you need it, but you're not in control of how or when or whether you receive it. Hexagram 27 seems to aspire to an ideal state of balance, a perfect working ecosystem of give and take, 
which is actually a lot like what happens between musicians who've been playing together for years and really know one another well. Each can always respond and provide what the other needs in the moment. With the marrying maiden in the background, you wouldn't expect it to be quite there yet. And here are the moving lines that light up to connect those two hexagrams. 27 lines 2, 4, and 6. Unbalanced nourishment. Rejecting the standard, looking to the hilltop for nourishment. Setting out to bring order, pitfall. Unbalanced nourishment. Good fortune. Tiger watches, glares and glares, chases and chases his desires. No mistake. Origin of nourishment. Danger, good fortune. Fruitful to cross the great river. That's not a perfect balance, certainly. Lines two and four are actually both about unbalanced nourishment, a word that means toppling over, falling on your face, being turned upside down, and also going mad. And there is undeniably something unbalanced about being so dedicated to something that is only a hobby that you will give it this kind of time and effort and energy and money. When I first went on a residential course as an adult, I found I loved it precisely because the people there were actually pretty much as unbalanced as I am about this stuff. Another thing about lines two and four, if only those two were changing, the relating hexagram would be 38, opposing the one about the outsider, which was the primary hexagram when I asked Yi about joining a new orchestra the same one this quartet was drawn from. And the relating hexagram then was 27, nourishing. I was the outsider seeking nourishment, and now I've become that exceptionally well-nourished marrying maiden. And here's Yi saying to me, look how the situation's changed. How, even as the newcomer with no status, you can be so lucky, so well-nourished. Lines 2 and 4 in 27 make an interesting contrast, though, don't they? Both with unbalanced nourishment, but such different pictures. Unbalanced nourishment, rejecting the standard, looking to the hilltop for nourishment, setting out to bring order, pitfall. Unbalanced nourishment, good fortune. Tiger watches, glares and glares, chases and chases his desires. No mistake. I had some specific ideas about what line two might be about, but in general, I think it's about amateur music making, because there is always this gap between what we do and what we aspire to. I mean, listening to the concert by the professional quartet on Sunday afternoon, they're not so much on the hilltop as on another planet entirely. It's not just the technical brilliance which you'd sort of expect it's the sheer energy and intensity of their playing, which really does come from a different world. I have no idea how they do it. So here we are, the amateurs down in the valley, playing for the joy of it, but also willing to put ourselves through the mill, do things that are not fun at all, in our efforts to get better. I think this only becomes a problem if we start setting out to bring order. 
turning aspiration into perfectionism. This line changing by itself turns the inner trigram thunder to lake below the mountain, which is why I'm talking about the joy of playing down in the valley. And it points to hexagram forty-one decreasing, which might be about the sacrifices we make, or the need to keep that in proportion, not completely out of balance. Then there's line four, with the tiger glaring and glaring and chasing and chasing his desires. Clearly, that's justification for eating a cooked breakfast, full meal at lunchtime, with eaten mess for dessert, and a three-course meal in the evening. Right? I mean, tigers don't have to weigh themselves when they get home. But seriously, why is this so different from line two? Unbalanced nourishment there ends in disaster, and here it's good fortune. I think the difference is that line two says, "No, I don't want that. I want something higher, and I have to fix it." Line four doesn't reject anything. It just wants. I want music, and I want to connect with the people who play music. I want to hear more and play more, and I want to play better. It's as simple and single-minded as the tiger, and he says it's no mistake. I think this line says you cannot love this too much. You can't be too hungry. Oh, also, we did meet the tiger. A tabby cat was stalking across the lawn, mewing at the moles. My friend, who is soft in the head about cats, saw it and called it, and it literally came galloping over the grass to say hello to her, mewing all the way. She was delighted. And finally, there's line six: origin of nourishment, danger, good fortune, fruitful to cross the great river. The first thing this line brought to mind for me is a slightly technical musical one. Unfortunately, in any group of musicians, at least any playing instruments that have the potential to be out of tune, which mine assuredly has, we spend a lot of time trying to be in tune. And the way this works is that the group listens to the bass note, the lowest note in the chord, and builds up from there. In an orchestra, that normally means I sort of point my ears at the double basses. In a string quartet, the cello is most often the lowest part. That's like being at the origin of nourishment, and it does feel dangerous. I had to give this a lot of my attention, and there were a couple of places where I actually simplified my part, missed a note out just to be on the safe side. The line also applies on other levels. I think it's about recognizing that I'm the author of my own experience here. I always was, of course, but previously I'd lived in the same place and made music with the same people for decades, so there was much more that was just given. Here, I need to play well enough, let people know I'm willing, plunge headlong into that river when I'm asked. And of course, take care. Reflect on my words in conversation, and not forget the role of the marrying maiden is to make sure other people have the best experience possible, which it turns out is actually a pretty good recipe for playing chamber music too. 
I think these three lines together, with their blend of warnings and encouragement, show how the marrying maiden can become part of the ecosystem of nourishment. I certainly had a wonderful time. I'm ridiculously grateful. As for what happens next? Well, obviously the quartet goes back to playing with their regular cellist. But there is a very beautiful quintet by Schubert that has a part for a second cello. And there has been some mention of that, so you never know. That's all for this month. A bit different, especially the casting method. I hope you enjoyed it. Before I go, if you'd like help with a reading, would you like to share it on this podcast? I'd be very happy to talk it through with you. You don't have to give your real name or anything personally identifiable, and you get a free reading as a thank you for sharing. You can sign up and book your slot at onlineclarity.co.uk forward slash share. That's O-N-L-I-N-E-C-L-A-R-I-T-Y dot C-O dot U-K forward slash S-H-A-R-E. Thank you for listening. See you next month.